All right, well, good morning. Grab your Bibles, please. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Y'all take note, we are not in Hebrews. Now, we might go there, but we are not. We have finished up Hebrews, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, Old habits are hard to break. yeah, I hope you had a good week, man. We've we've had a good week. We actually actually uh, took our girls to on Friday evening went over to Seguin to uh, to ZDT. If you don't know what ZDT, it's a little uh, I, what do you call it, Chris? A little theme park, I guess. Got a, it's got a few water rides and it's got some video games and some go karts and uh, uh, just a couple little things. And so we went over there and uh, kind of the for my girls the big draw was they called it a switchback, which is a little roller coaster and. They like to do roller coasters, and mom, not so much. So we thought, we'll do it first. She had to go back to the car, and so we thought, we'll jump in line. So we get in line at the, at the theme, at the little uh, switchback, and there's only like, I don't know, 12 people. I mean, I'm like, this will be quick. You know, we'll just jump in. We'll get this over. You know, we'll move on. Well, it wasn't quick. I mean, it was bizarre because we got up there, and like I said, there's 10 or 12 people, and I thought, well, that's just two trips. It, it holds eight. The cart holds eight. Well, the people come and they get off. Well, when they get to get off, they, they pull out this, this um, cordless screwdriver with a hose on it, and they have to unlock the, the doors. And so automatically you think, oh, this, I wonder if they have to lock them. Well, they didn't have to lock them. So, so, but when they did that, they run the thing all, they had to run it through empty. And then when they came back, the guys made a shift change. And so I thought, you know, you know, being the patient man that I am, I'm not sitting there going, why are they doing this or anything like that? So they run that through empty and they come back and they open it up and people get on. I thought, well, they got this thing fixed. We're good to go. And so they run it through or well, they come back and they get that little deal out again. They start unscrewing this thing and to let people off. And, and then they ran it through empty. I'm thinking, what? And I said, Scott, you know, do you know what we're doing? You know, so I'm starting to go, why are we doing this here? What is this? You know, and so we go through that, and, and, and it turns out, you know, I don't really understand completely, but somehow or another, this thing evidently was running past the release trigger or something, so the doors wouldn't open. Now, they would close, but they wouldn't open. But, but I, I, I tell you that story to tell you how patient I am. I just want you all to know that. If you know me, you know that's not true. Uh, but, I, but the reason I bring that up is, is sometimes things happen, and what we really want to know is why. Why? You know, why can we not just get on? Why, why can we not just do this? And, and so uh, what I've discovered is that, that uh, sometimes we don't know why people do what they do. Sometimes we don't even know why we do what we do. And so I thought, we're going to celebrate communion day, and we're going to celebrate the Lord's table. And I just want to make sure that you and I, that we understand why we're going to do what we're going to do. In just a little while, we're going to celebrate. Uh, we've been singing to Jesus. We've been singing not a, just about Him, but we've been singing to Him. In, in a few minutes, we're going to celebrate His life and His death, His body and His blood that was broken for us. And what I want to make sure is that we understand why. And so if you have your Bibles there, 1 Corinthians 11. Now, we've got a big chunk of Scripture we're going to read, so just hang with me. Uh, but it's really important. Paul had been... Been right, you know, he's the middle 11 chapters. He's been saying some good things about the church, and he's been correcting them about some things, and he's been commending them here. And uh, then he gets to verse 17, and he says, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. 
In other words, I'm on your case, and here's why. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. In remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak. And ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Would you pray with me? Father, as we uh, take the next few minutes and try to grasp the intent, the purpose, the why behind the Lord's table, I pray that you would speak with clear clarity into our hearts. Uh, God, I pray that your word and your spirit would speak boldly to us. Uh, God, in the arenas where we need to be corrected and convicted, may you speak loudly. God, in those arenas of life where we need to be comforted and ministered to, may you speak loudly. God, may you have your way in our hearts this morning. May you speak into our life. And we'll be careful, Father, uh, to give the glory to Jesus. God, I know in a group this size that there are some who are sold out followers of Jesus and God, there are those who are still trying to decide, do, do I want to follow him? And God, I pray that this morning they'll realize that the price that Jesus paid so they could be free. God, I pray that you'd remind those of us who do follow you of the price that you paid so we could be free. So teach us, Father, the why, and we'll give you the glory and the honor for it all. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the Corinthians had seemingly forgotten why they had communion. Paul had been commending them and talking about, they were, you know, up in verse 2, he says, I commend you because you remember me and everything and you maintain the, the traditions even as I delivered them to you. And then he goes on to correct them. But, he, but here he says, listen, you're, you know, I can't commend you for the way that you act. And, and he acknowledged that there were divisions uh, among them. And it's really interesting, and I never really thought about this until... I dealt with this section of scripture, but, but, but look what he says there. He says, he says, I, I hear that there are divisions among you and I believe it in part. And when I first read this, I thought he was, he was, uh, pointing out that, Hey, 
these divisions are bad, and sometimes they are, but, but he says, look at what he says. He says, there must be factions, which is a, or schisms or divisions among you, in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized or, or may be approved. And, and so there's a sense to where when, when there is division in the body, sometimes that division points out who is real and genuine and who's the poser. I mean, the word uh, approved or the word uh, recognized, uh, it, they, they would use this term uh, for when they would test metals like uh, gold or silver. They would, they would put it in a smelter, and the purpose of that test was to bring out the impurities and then to purify. And so Paul, what Paul was saying here is that divisions are not necessarily a bad thing because they really help us figure out, okay, who's real, who's the real deal, and who's the false, who's fake, who's... Who's posing, if you will. And yet he said, but then notice what he says in verse 20. He points out that this division uh, is, is not a good one. Listen to verse 20 and 21. He says, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. So what's he talking about? Uh, well, what's the significance there? Well, here's kind of part of the backstory that I think will kind of help us because we can't really identify. Well, I guess we can. Let me explain. Probably in the early church, they probably met on Sunday evening. In fact, that was probably their main worship. Now, that used to be really popular in, in, in our culture, uh, but, but not so much anymore. But for them, that was probably the main meal and, and, or the main service. And probably the reason why is they, the church operated in the Roman Empire, which was a very pagan culture, a very uh, godless culture. You know, they didn't, uh, anybody remember the blue laws? Anybody old enough? Okay, there's like, okay, a few of us. Yeah, there's some of us that go back. Well, when I was growing up, man, Sunday, you had a hard time finding anything open. I mean, it was hard. I mean, the mall was closed. Can y'all believe the mall was closed? I mean, even if we had a mall, when we finally got a mall, it was closed, right? And, and most places were closed. I mean, it was hard because Sunday was this reverent day. And as we know, that's changed in our culture. You can do anything on Sunday. You can do any other day of the week and more in some places. And and, and so that was kind of the deal here. Man, because they were in this Roman Empire and because it was a pagan culture, man, if you were a slave, you had to serve on Sunday. If you were an employee, you had to work on Sunday. And so there was, in order for them to come together to worship, they had to do it in the evenings. And what would happen is, what was happening they would come together, and they always had a love feast, an agape feast. And, and what that meant is, you know, and we believe that it happened every week. They would come, and they would have this big spread. They, uh, they could have been Baptists. I mean, think about this. They had a potluck. They all brought their stuff, and they had a problem getting along. I mean, that right there tells you that, if it, you know, that that's got to be. Uh, you know, indicative that they could have been Baptists, or they could have been, or, or at least Baptists or Methodists. So, so we kind of know that. But, but so they would have this meal, and now the dilemma was, you know, typically the, the wealthier pre- people would have more to bring, and so they would bring their stuff. The, the the ladies would fix it and everything. Well, typically the the poorer people would be the ones that had to work. They would be the ones that were slaves. They would be the ones that were on the outside looking in. And so what would happen is the the richer, the wealthier people would get there early, and they would just, hey, they'd go through the line, and they'd get everything they wanted. They would gorge themselves. In fact, some of them drank too much. Some of them ate too much. Well, then those 
people that were working, those poor people, the, slave, the people that were probably in slavery, they would come along, and man, there was nothing left. And Paul said, listen, you, what you're doing, this isn't the Lord's Supper. This is a selfish display of, of getting what you want. And he says, listen, you're not, you're not celebrating the Lord. You're dishonoring the Lord. And so, having said all that, he says, now let me tell you how you are to honor the Lord. And so he gives them what we believe, what is probably the very first instructions. If you look at verse 23, and specifically, let's, let's look at 23 and 24. But he says, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Now, what scholars believe, what we believe, is this is probably the first written correspondence regarding the Lord's Supper. That's why Paul says, I got this from Jesus. You can read about that. He, he alludes to that experience in Galatians chapter 1. But he says, I got this from Jesus. Jesus told me by revelation. You know, and so he says, so here's what, I, here's what the Lord said. The Lord said on the night before he was crucified, I took bread. And he goes on and he explains that. And so that was the first time some of them had heard of this. Now, you might be thinking, yeah, but we've got the Gospels, man. That's in Matthew, that's in Mark, and that's in Luke. True. But this was probably written before any of the Gospels. And so what Paul's saying is, let me give you, based on the authority of God, let me tell you why and how to celebrate the Lord's table. And so he gives them this purpose or he gives them this intent. And so what I want to do this morning to make sure you know why we do what we do and to make sure that we understand why we're about to do what we do and what it means. Let me give you four or five purposes or four and five, four or five intentions uh, that God has for us. First of all, if you look at, at verse 24 and also verse 25, but, but notice what he says. When, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in, in remembrance of me. In other words, first of all, the purpose of, of the Lord's table or communion or the Lord, Lord's supper, whichever you choose to call it, the purpose is for us to reflect on what Jesus has done for us. See, because what happens for many of us is we get so caught up living life. We get so busy with the day-to-day details of life. Sometimes we forget to stop and to reflect. And so what the writer was saying here to what Paul was saying to the church there is that you need to remember the body of Jesus and you need to remember the blood of Jesus. I want you to turn to the right. I want you to turn over to 1 Peter. Listen to what it says uh, uh, simply about the body of Christ that was, that was uh, offered for us. 1 Peter chapter 2, listen to what it says. Verse 24, it says, He himself, Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree. In other words, when Jesus was nailed up on that cross, he took the burden... He, he bore on his body. In other words, he carried our sins on that cross. And so he paid the penalty for our sins. He, w- he was broken for us. In fact, now I know we finished teaching in Hebrews, but listen to Hebrews chapter 10 because uh, it describes that a little bit more. Verse 20 says, by the new and living way. Well, let me pick up in verse uh, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. 
And so what happened was, and let me just see if I can help you understand this. When Jesus was, was um, when he was beaten and his body was lacerated, when his body was broken and bruised for us, uh, when, when his hands were nailed to the cross, when his body was torn for us, that was the picture. Not, not only did he carry our sins on the cross, but when his body was torn for us, that was the picture of what was going to happen at the moment he died. And if you, if you remember, I think it's in, in Matthew chapter, Matthew's account of the gospel. When Jesus looked up to heaven and said, it is finished, breathed his last and gave up the ghost, several things happened. One of which was a, was an, a great earthquake, but another of which the, the veil in the temple that separated the presence of God from the, from humanity that veil, this thick curtain was ripped apart. It was torn in two. And it symbolized that, that man now had the right to go into the presence of God. And so when, when we remember the body of Jesus in a, in a few minutes, what the writer said, you need to remember that his body was torn for you so you could enter into the presence of God. Because before that moment, Anybody but the high priest in him one day a year that went into God's presence died like that. And so, so his body was broken for us. Secondly, not only do we reflect on his body that was broken for us and that, that uh, his sacrifice that was made for us, but he tells us that we're to reflect on the blood that was shed for us. Now, in most churches today, in, in many places today, you're not going to hear a lot about the blood of Jesus. Now, some people would say, you know, that's kind of, my vocabulary won't get me to where I want to be. There's probably a word for that. But, but, uh, but people would say, well, it's too graphic to talk about the blood. It's, it's archaic, if you will, to talk about the blood of Jesus. But friend, I want to tell you, the Bible says that apart from the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And so I would submit to you this morning the reason that we will always talk about the blood of Jesus. Because without the blood of Jesus, you and I would die and go to hell. No matter how religious we try to be, no, no matter how much we come to church, no matter how much we do Sunday school or how much we study the Bible or, or how much we be religious, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And so he says you need to reflect, you need to remember the blood. And we're not going to look at these verses, but let me just give you six or eight verses that tell us uh, what the blood of Jesus has done. Now you remember that growing up, you remember we used to sing the, the hymn, there is power in the blood. There is power and there is wonder working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Let me tell you what the, what, the, what the blood of Jesus can do. Listen, apart from Christ, you and I are or were unrighteous separated from God, and yet the Bible says that by the blood of Jesus, we are justified. Now, that's a theological term. To be justified means that God looked at you, and he decided and decreed and declared that now you are righteous. And so when you come to Christ, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you become justified, which means that God decrees and declares that you are now righteous. And that means you have a right standing with God. And so the blood justifies. Secondly, uh, the Bible tells us that we were sinful and unforgiven, and yet Ephesians 1.7 tells us that we are forgiven through 
the blood. Remember, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. Uh, number three, we were separated and far away from God. Now, it's hard for us to understand this, but in that culture, a Gentile was a non-Jew. And if you were a Gentile, uh, Ephesians 2, 12 and 13 tells that you were without God. You were helpless. You were hopeless. And you were hapless. You were, you were without God. You were separated. And you were without God in the world. And that's the condition that we were all in. And yet, because of the blood of Jesus, you and I can be brought near to God. And so the blood of Jesus tears down the wall of separation. Uh, Colossians 1.20 tells us that we can have peace with God through his blood. Now, it's hard for us to realize this, but if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, uh, I, I don't want to discourage you, but I, I, I do need to tell you that you are at enmity with God. If you are not forgiven, if you've not given your life to Jesus Christ, then you're at odds with God. You are separated from God and you are an enemy of God because your sin has separated you from him. And yet the Bible says, the Bible says in Colossians 1.20 that through the blood of Jesus, he has made peace with us through God. And so rather than be his enemy, we are now his Friend, And it goes on, Hebrews, we could go to Hebrews and it talks about how we were condemned, but we've been redeemed. Uh, man, here's a great verse. Write this down. You want to look this one up. Hebrews 9, 14 tells us that, uh, that even if we have guilt in our conscience, even if there's shame for something we've done, for somewhere we've been, for something we've committed, and there's shame for that, something that happened way in your past, maybe something that happened recently in your past. There's guilt with that. Well, well, what the Bible says is that the blood of Jesus can cleanse your conscience. Now, if you've got something in your past that's really ugly and really dark and really bad, you know, it, a lot of people go to a psychiatrist and, or a lot of people go to a psychologist because they need therapy. They want somebody, they want to go tell their story, and they want somebody to tell them they're okay. And, and you know, so that's what they do. They tell you, well, you know, you just talk it out, and you're just okay. And they may give you a little pill to make you feel better. But listen, I'll tell you something. The only way to deal with guilt and shame is to come under the blood. Because when you come to Jesus, the Bible says he cleanses even the guilt of our conscience. And so that's the beauty and the benefit of the blood. Of Jesus Christ. And so whatever you've done, wherever you've been, bring it to the blood. He, he, Hebrews 13, 12 tells us that we're made holy by the blood. Hebrews 12, 14 says without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And we could go on. I mean, we talk about John, 1 John 1, 7. Uh, we are purified by the blood. Uh, Revelation uh, 5, 9 talks about how Jesus set us free from the blood. But I want to call your attention. Uh, in fact, I want you to look this verse up. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn all the way to the book of Revelation. Uh, this is so critical that we see this one because this, this one here may, you know, we never thought we'd, we'd see today. L listen to Revelation 12, verse 11. Now, let me just qualify this. I believe that first and foremost, this verse is primarily speaking to the great tribulation, the, the time that's to come. But I want you to listen what John the Apostle writes, this vision from God. It says, and they have, he's talking about martyrs. He says, they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Now, let me tell you what that was a pic that's a picture of. That's a picture of in the day of great tribulation. 
There are going to be those who, who overcome by the power of the blood of the Lamb, even though they give their life for Jesus. Now, what I want to tell you is that while we're, while we're seated comfortably in an air-conditioned church about to celebrate what the Lord's done for us, we have brothers and sisters in Christ who today, today, will give their life because they are unashamed of the gospel. And they will love not their life even unto death. And there will be men and women and boys and girls today that die because they stand for Jesus. And while we think that is primarily the tribulation period, we see it fleshed out before us on the world stage. And, and so the day, as the days progress, as it becomes more and more difficult to live out your faith, understand that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. I pray to God that if the day come where we have to choose between life or death for Jesus, we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb. You know, we never thought we would say that about America. We never thought that day would come. Folks, it is, it is upon us. It is upon us. So hold that thought. We overcome. And so what the writer's saying is that, listen, we need, we, need to, we need to reflect on what Jesus did for us. Man, it's a time to reflect. Can I just tell you, we just need to remember the price that he paid so we could be forgiven, so we could be declared right, so we could be uh, cleansed in our conscience, so we could have hope, so we could have freedom, so we could have life eternal in heaven. Listen, Somebody, for my sin and for your sin, Jesus had to die. Jesus had to die. And so as we celebrate communion, we're celebrating one that loved us enough that he gave his life so we could be free. And so it's a time to reflect. Secondly, uh, not only is it a time of reflection, but it's also a time of celebration. Look down in your Bibles there in, in 1 Corinthians 11. Notice th that night Jesus, when, it says when he had given thanks. The, the word is in, in the original language is Eucharisto. Now you say, what, what does that matter? Some of you come from a denominational background where this table, this setup here is referred to as the Eucharist. They call it the Eucharist. Well, that's a, that's a transliteration of that word, Eucharisto, which means Jesus gave thanks. And so the idea is that this is a thanksgiving feast, a celebration feast, where we celebrate the fact that our, our Savior loved us enough to die for us. And so it's a time of celebration. Now, as a time of celebration, it, it needs to be a reverent time. I mean, it's not a, it's not a happy rah-rah go team like, like when we get on the football field in a few weeks or we get in a football stadium in a few weeks. But, it, but it's, 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 it's reverent celebration. But, but on the contrary, it's, it's, you know, it's not a funeral either. I mean, this is not a time to have a, you know, I mean, some, some of you have probably been to a funeral um, and, and you, you go to that funeral and just think, man, this, man there's no life here. I mean, it's a funeral for somebody that's died, and, and you look around, and, and everybody in the audience acts like they're dead too. I mean, it's, there's no hope. There's no happiness. There's no joy. Well, that's not what this is. We're to reverently celebrate 
Sure, Jesus died, but God brought him back. And he's seated, he's seated at the right hand of heaven. And so, so we're, to, we're, to, we're to celebrate that. And so it's to be a time of celebration, which leads us. Now, you understand, we, we pretty much know that we're to reflect. And we, we pretty much know that we're to celebrate. But there's another thing that happens. There's another purpose. Look at verse 26. Verse 26 tells us that uh, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. So it's a time of proclamation. It's a time to say to the world, when we, when we do communion, what we're saying to the world is that a death had to happen in order for us to be forgiven. What we're saying is that literally that Jesus died. Now, again, that's pretty archaic. I mean, most people don't want to hear about that. Most people don't want us to talk about that because it, it, it really is a, you know, the fact that someone would have to die. You know, I've, I've read notes on some of these, uh, just some of the comments on some online articles and you know, uh, people that don't believe in Jesus, in fact, some of you here, you may not be a follower of Jesus, and you think, preacher man, you that, that's archaic stuff. And I get that. But I just, I got to remind you, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. And so we're to proclaim his death. Do, do you know why the world, one of the reasons the world hates Jesus and the gospel so much, you, you know why they hate the cross so much? And then there's any number of reasons, but, but I, this, I, I just believe this truth. See, what, what, what the cross says, what the death of Jesus says, is that as a human, I am not good enough to get to God. And, and, and the reason the world hates the gospel is the world, nobody wants to be told, hey, you're not good enough, right? I mean, I, I, hey, when it comes to to a sport or it comes to participating or it comes to belonging. Who wants to be told we're not good enough? But when it comes to heaven, the cross says, you and me, we are not good enough. But here's what God says. I got your back. That's what, when Jesus went to the cross, he says, you're not good enough, but I'm good enough. And so I'm going to take your place. And so when we celebrate this, what we're saying is we're proclaiming that somebody died, and that somebody is Jesus. It's a time of proclamation. Number four, it's also a time of expectation. Look at the end of verse 26. We proclaim his death until he comes. Did you know, did you know that Jesus is coming again? Anybody know that Jesus is coming again? I'm telling you, you may not know that, but I'm telling you, I know. I know he's coming again. He's promised he said he would come again. In fact, he said to his disciples, I'm not going to drink this anymore. Can we get that in Matthew 26, 29 up? Jesus said, I'm not going to drink the fruit of the vine again until I drink it new with you in the kingdom of God. Now, who is the with you? Who's the with you? Well, in, in that passage, it's the disciples. But I'm telling you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are the who that he's talking about. And he says, listen, there's going to be a day. There's going to be a day when I drink the fruit of the vine with you in the kingdom of God. It won't be in this kingdom. And so I'm telling you, Jesus is coming again. Now, here's, here's one reason you can know that's true. He said he was coming. Here's, here's, how, here's why I believe him. Did you know Jesus said that he was going to die? Did you know he, he said that he was going to die and, and he was going to be buried? And on the third day, that God was going to raise him from the dead. Do you, do you know he said that? 
And listen, if anybody, just think about this. If somebody can predict their death and predict their burial and predict their resurrection, if they can predict all of that and then pull it off, man, you got to believe them, right? Who remembers Joe Namath? Anybody? There's, there's a few of us. Joe Namath, man, he, man, everybody said he was nuts because he predicted the Jets were going to win Super Bowl three or whatever number that was. And they said, this guy's nuts. Well, but then they pulled it off. Listen, Jesus said, I'm going to die. They're going to put me in the ground, but I'm going to come back from the grave. And he did that. And so I believe he, he said, I'm coming again. And my reward is going to be with me. You know what? I believe him. And when we proclaim this, what we're saying, we believe he died. We believe he rose. And we believe he's coming again. And friend, if you look at the world, it might be sooner than later. It really might. So, so we, need to, we need to be ready. That's why we need to do number, number five, examination. It needs to be a, a time of examination. Look in your Bibles there, verse, um, verse 27. It says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Now watch this. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And so, you know, every time we celebrate the Lord's table, every time we come to communion, I always admonish or challenge you. I always say, okay, you need to take a moment and you need to reflect and you need to examine your life. And I believe when we examine ourselves, there's two things. There's two things. One, are, are you really a follower of Jesus? Because this is, listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I don't, I don't mean this disrespectfully, but this is not for you. Because this represents the body and the blood of a Savior it was given for, for, for us. And if you don't, if, if he's not your Savior, this just is not for you. And, and now it can be for you. You can trust him right today. You can have him in your life today, and then this is the real deal for you. And so, so you need to examine, am I really a follower of Jesus? And, and if, if you are, then celebrate. But secondly, as a believer, Paul said, you need to examine. Because here's what, the, the, church, the church at Corinth, they were so messed up. Some of them were sick. Some of them were weak. In fact, some of them were dying because they dishonored communion. I mean, it's right there. That's what Paul says, listen, you know why some of you are sick? You, you know why some of you are feeling weak? Do you, know why, do, you know why, do you know why Sister Sue and Brother Joe are dead? You know why they're dead? Because they dishonored the Lord. And so this is, is it a celebration? Yes, but it's a reverent celebration. And so we should examine ourselves. And so when we come to the Lord's table, I'm always going to say, hey, you need to search your heart. You need to examine. And you need to, the word is to test yourself. In fact, uh, the psalmist, Psalm 139 
verse 23 and 24. Can we get that one up? Do we have that one, Scott? Uh, Psalm 139, where he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me, and then lead me in the way everlasting. And so what, listen, here's what I'm saying, church. What you need to do in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity. And what you need to do is you need to say, okay, God, search my heart. God, are my motives pure? God, is my attitude, God, is my attitude right? God, is there any gossip? Is there any slander in my life that I need to repent of? God, is, you know, is there some unforgiveness that I have toward a brother or sister or to someone? Is there some, is there an attitude that, that I need to deal with? God, is my thought life pure? God, is what I'm looking at on my device, is it consistent with the way a believer ought to act in what I believe? And so you need to be asking yourself, you need to be examining yourself, and you need to say, God, is there anything in this heart that, that's wrong? And, and if there is then you just need to repent. You just need to say, hey, God, I, this, God, you're right. My attitude stinks. God, you're right. My thought life. God, you're right. What I looked at last week or last month, that's wrong. And, and God, I repent. And so so the, the point of this table is to reflect. The point of this is to celebrate. The point of it is to proclaim. The point of it is to, to, to expect Jesus to come. But man, in order to do all that, we got to examine we got to look inside and see. And so here's what, I, here's what we're going to do before we pray. I want you to just take a moment, and, uh, and I want you to search your heart. And you need to ask yourself two things. Am I a follower? Am I really a follower? And if you're not a follower, would you be willing today to give your life to Jesus? And he paid a price. He paid the ultimate price so you could be forgiven. So your sins could go, so your your unrighteousness could go, your your uh, your guilt. He he died for all that. Would you be willing today to surrender your life to Jesus? So you need, you need to ask that. And secondly, if you're a follower, would you just ask God? God, would you just look at my heart? Look at my heart, God. In fact, one guy I was listening to this week, he said to his church, he says, you know, if you're, if you're sick all the time, he said, you ought to look and say, God, is there a reason I'm sick all the time? Because i got sin in my life? Or are you weak? Now, if you're dead, it's too late, okay? But, 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 but I mean, if, if you're weak and ill, you need to ask, God, is there something in my life? I mean, God's serious. Listen, we don't come lightly. They were sick. Because they were denigrating the Lord's table. And so we should examine our hearts. So let's take a moment. I want you to just, and, and, and you don't have to tell me. You just need to tell the Lord. You need to ask the Lord. Lord, search my heart. So take a moment. Bow your heads and let's just take a few minutes and reflect on, uh, is there anything? Search me, O God, the, the psalmist said. Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Jonathan, if you'll come and play for us.